Thanks for joining us here at New Song Church, where we're helping people to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. If you have any questions at all, or just want to learn more about us as a church, you can go to mynsc.org happenings. It's the best way to stay connected with us throughout the week. And now, check out this week's sermon. Good morning, my family. Welcome. How many of you love Baptism Sunday? Do you love it as much as we do? Isn't that awesome? God is just doing some incredible things. We baptized 15, I believe 15, altogether today, and it's just a, a wonderful day. And uh, I can't wait to get into this, the word for you today. It's going to be a word of encouragement. It's going to be a word of, uh, of uh, ministry to you. In fact, I'm just going to minister to you today. And after all, I am a minister of the gospel. So it's kind of my job to do that. There are some days that are very, uh, you know, that we challenge you in the faith. And others, and, and, and yet other days uh, that where, we, where we just pour into you some encouragement in life. And, and we, we really study all of the word of God. So um, if you're ready to study the Word of God, say yes. Okay, let's change that up today. Did you notice that? All right. We're going to talk about what, it, what, it, what, it, what do we do when life seems out of control? What do we do when life just seems out of control? And I was thinking about this, that there have been times in my life where, where I just felt absolutely out of control. In fact, the word that we would use is helpless, just helpless, nothing I could do. Uh, one of the, the most... Um, uh, I guess prominent stories in my mind stands out to me. When I was maybe 16, 17 years old, I was driving my truck, I had a little uh, two-tone S10. It was red and white, a little S10 pickup, and I was going to Tulsa. I was born and raised in Oklahoma, so I was going to Tulsa to visit my aunt and uncle. Had a friend with me, and I was, uh, it was in the middle of an ice storm. It wasn't ice, it, it wasn't raining or snowing when I went to Tulsa, but when I got there, it was, and uh, just got caught in this ice storm, which are very common down there, and... Um, I was coming to a stop sign, and two or three, two or three hundred yards ahead of me was a truck, and it was like a mid-80s um, Chevy, full-size Chevy truck. I, I remember it like it was yesterday, just a standard cab, you know, and, and I see this truck at the stop sign two or three hundred yards ahead of me, and I start to put on the brakes, because I know it's icy, I know the roads are bad, so I start putting on the brakes, and nothing happens. And you know how it is. You go through all of the, like, okay, I'm going to slam on the brakes. I'm going to pump the brakes. I, I, I turned the steering wheel all the way to the left to try to turn out of it. Nothing happened. Turned all the way to the right, you know, to try to, 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 to hop up on the curb and, and couldn't get out of it. My truck, no matter what I was doing, my truck was just moving forward and there was nothing I could do whatsoever. And I was honking my horn, you know, and, and, and I, I told a friend with me, hey, we're going to, we're going to hit that guy. And they're like, no, we're not. We're, you're just mad. No, I'm telling you, we're going to hit that guy. And I, I'm thinking, why isn't this guy moving? He's just sitting there at the stop sign. And sure enough, the inevitable happens that, you know, I, I rear into him and uh, I, I rear end him. And actually his head snapped back so hard that he shattered the glass that was right behind his head. I remember he was a standard cab and he just busted that windshield. And I remember it like it was yesterday. I just... Remember, and that feeling of absolute helplessness, being totally out of control. And, and so, you know, obviously, uh, uh, you know, I get out and I, I ask him if he's okay. And he's like, yeah, yeah, actually, I'm, I'm okay. He said, my neck's a little sore, but I'm, I'm okay. And, and uh, he said, you know, I was wondering why you were honking so much. And I'm like, Urgh! you know, like, whack, whack, whack. you know, you could have, had you just driven, you know, this wouldn't have happened. Well, it turned out there happened to be a policeman nearby. And a policeman pulled up and rear-ended my truck. Forcing my truck back into that guy. And then an, an elderly woman pulls up and she rear ends the police officer. 
another police officer shows up because he hears that the first police officer is in an accident. He shows up and rear-ends the elderly lady. And another, another officer shows up and rear-ends that police officer. It was a six-car pileup, and three of them were policemen, everybody. Isn't that, isn't that some true story? And he looks at me, he said, obviously no one is getting, nobody's getting a ticket today. And I thought... True story. I, I knew that that was happening. You know, it's no, nobody's fault. It was just things were out of control, absolutely helpless. I, I was thinking another thing that uh, when my wife was giving birth to Isaac, um, Isaac, uh, uh, she was not only in labor for hours and hours and hours, but she was actually, my wife was actually pushing for hours and hours and hours. I mean, just hour after hour after hour. They just keep telling her, push, push, push. And Isaac, he wasn't coming out. And, and I remember my wife turning to me with tears in her eyes, and she said, I can't do this anymore. And, and I was just brokenhearted. There was nothing that I could do. It was totally out of my control. I could only encourage her and pray. And then, and then of course, Isaac, they, they had to put this little suction thing on the top of Isaac's head and literally to pull him out. And I'm thinking, that, I mean, this, the doctor just yanked him out. And, and I kept thinking, that ain't good. That ain't good. That's not right. You know, that's not supposed to happen. He had this big old lump on his head, a big purple bump on his head, like a big old hickey. You know what I'm talking about? And except it had a big raised bump from, from the suction cup that they put on his head. And, and there, nothing I could do in those moments. I remember with Isaiah, we go to the hospital. She, Jennifer goes in labor with our second son. She goes into labor. We go into the hospital. And all of a sudden, as I'm waiting, like it's kind of, uh, um, you know, they're getting ready. So they had already taken her to, to uh, the delivery room. And I was waiting outside of that, kind of a pre-op type of room. And the, the doctor comes in. He says, we're taking the baby right now. And that's all he said. And he just walked right out. And I'm like, well, what is that about? You know, like, what is that about? And all I could do in that moment was I knew something was wrong. And sure enough, something was wrong. And, um, and all I could do was just, I just paced back and forth and prayed. That's totally out of control. There was nothing that I could do. I couldn't help in any way. Just absolutely out of control. And then, and then we get to our third child, Grace, and you're like, surely, you know, this one worked out fine. No, 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 it didn't. It didn't. Uh, we, we go, and this one for Grace was a scheduled C-section because my wife had already had one. And so this is right here in Plymouth. And Dr. Stilson, many of you know Dr. Stilson, he's performing the C-section. And he just stops, and he said, I can't go any further. He said, there's so much scar tissue, so many issues in Jennifer's body. We just have to stop now. I have to call in a specialist. And again, I'm, 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 I'm there right next to my wife, who at this point was still awake. She was numb, but she was still awake. And, and there was nothing I could do, totally out of control. And, and she was saying, Justin, I don't think our family's done yet. I, I want to have more children. Because he looked at us, part of that conversation was, you're done now. You're no, no more kids. You're done. And I remember talking to my wife before they put her under. I remember talking to my wife saying, hey, babe, we've been talking about adoption. That's just what we'll do next. Our, our family's not done yet. We're, we're going to adopt. And again, completely out of my control. And you think, okay, well, for an adopted child then, because you know our youngest is, was, was adopted from Haiti, Delight, um, adopted from Haiti. You're like, well, you didn't have to go through that then. No, it was even worse, everybody. It was even worse in that we were matched with Delight when she was only three months old. They sent us a picture and said, would you like to, to, to adopt this little girl? And of course, my, my wife erupts in tears. And yes, isn't she beautiful? Well, the, the next year or, or more was all of a sudden nothing but governmental red tape, bureaucracy, fee after fee after fee. I mean, we were paying out thousands. I'm telling you, it was, back then it was about $25,000 to adopt internationally. 
and, and we were just paying as we go. We're like, how are we gonna afford this? And yet God was just doing the miraculous and, and finally got to the point where all we needed was one final person after Delight was about two years old at this point. Remember, we were matched when she was three months old. She was about two years old. And, and so we're waiting for one final verification. It's literally one final signature and it has to happen at the U.S. Embassy or the U.S. Consulate in Port-au-Prince because she's from Haiti. But she was born in Jeremy, which is about eight or nine hour drive away from Port-au-Prince. So we're, we're waiting. They said, hey, all we need is one more signature and everything's done. You can come and get her as soon as we get that signature. It's over. Well, the month goes by and two months goes by and three months goes by. And we're saying, what is the deal? And every time you call the embassy, uh, nothing. You get nobody. You just get a voicemail. That's all. Just a voicemail. You have to leave a voicemail. Leave a voicemail. Leave a voicemail. Leave a, and there's no way in the world to get through to anybody. Like we were hearing nothing. And, and then the frustration, I'm going to be honest with you, it turned, it turned into anger. We just got angry because months were passing and she, would, she had already been given the, the, uh, the, the last name of Chambers. We had already changed her name. I mean, we had, she was our child. They just had to sign one piece of paper that would, that would allow us clearance to come back to Haiti to actually bring her back into the States. And, and we called and we called and called and nothing. We left messages, sent emails. I mean, and they were like very pointed emails after a while. You know, you, after some point, you kind of skip the niceness and you're like, why aren't you answering me? All caps. You know what I'm talking about, everybody? And nothing, nothing. Well, we got so frustrated that we started calling uh, our senators and our representatives here in Indiana. And I, I mean, I, Democrat, Republican, I didn't care. I just wanted somebody to help us. And finally got a hold of a senator who, who made one phone call and to the U.S. Embassy in Haiti. And after six months of us being put on hold, finally this person called us and said, we're, we're going to go sign that paperwork. You can go ahead and buy your plane tickets to come and get your daughter. And it turns out after that entire six-month period of time, the only reason that they weren't signing that piece of paper was because it was too inconvenient for them to travel from Port-au-Prince to Jeremy. To, it, was to do, it was just an eight- or nine-hour drive, and they, it was just too inconvenient. They were waiting for multiple cases to stack up. They were willing to wait for years, what could have just been a, a two-day, go sign the piece of paper, go back home, and we get, we get our child. They were literally holding our child captive in Haiti. They would not release her to us. And it was just this feeling of out of control, absolutely helpless. There was nothing that we could do. There's nothing that we could do. And some of you are in a place right now that you're in a situation in which you are helpless. There's just nothing you can do. That life just seems like it's out of control. And what do we do when life seems like that? What do we do when life isn't going your way and you're just out of control? Well, in the Old Testament, we read about a person named Joseph who had uh, circumstance after circumstance after circumstance that was just absolutely out of his control. So Joseph was the son of Jacob. Jacob, ha Jacob had 12 sons. Joseph was actually his favorite. So Joseph actually received this, this coat of many colors that all of the brothers were extremely jealous of because Jacob was showing, just outright showing his favoritism to Joseph. All of the brothers got very upset and for other reasons too, because Joseph wasn't he, he made some mistakes. He said some things, told about some dreams that he shouldn't have. Well, they, his, his brothers ended up uh, selling him into slavery. They, they were actually going to kill him, but they ended up selling him into slavery. 
And over and over, if you read, if you read through Genesis, I believe it starts in chapter 37 through, through chapter 50. It tells you the life, of, the life story of Joseph. And I'm telling you, it was one thing after another, thing out of his control, one thing after another, helpless, one time after another, over and over and over again, out of control. Until finally he was elevated through, through the grace of God, he was elevated to being a steward over the land uh, in, in really Potiphar's house, but really underneath Pharaoh. And he literally saved the known world from famine. He, he literally saved the known world from hunger because God had given him the ability and the wisdom and the place to actually do that. And Joseph's Joseph's uh, father and all of his brothers, his family came to him and had to, had to ask Joseph for help. When they first came, they didn't even know it was Joseph. It, it, it was revealed to them later who it was. And again, if you haven't read that story, you should. It's a great story at, at, the, end of, at the end of Genesis. And so they, they, come, they come to Joseph and they end up finding out it's him and Joseph shows them favor and he gives them food and he treats them well. He does not treat them as their sins deserved. He actually was very merciful, very compassionate. And then we read something that happens that Joseph's father, Jacob, actually passes away. And it causes trouble to, to the brothers. It, it troubles their hearts. It troubles their mind. And that's where we start in Genesis chapter 50, verse 15. It says, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs that we did to him. Like, we admit it. We, we, we totally messed up. We totally messed up. What if he pays us back? And he certainly had the authority to do that. And they were scared out of their minds. Now, Genesis 50, verse 19, it says this, But Joseph said to them, Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? And you might want to circle this verse or underline it. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done the saving of many lives. So, so Joseph, Joseph is admitting all of those years of being absolutely out of control, absolutely helpless, going through circumstances that he would not wish on his worst enemy. He endured all of these things. And now he's looking back and he says, the entire time that I was helpless, God was still in control. The entire time that I was out of control, God was actually working it for my good and for the good of the entire nation, not just his own family. But Joseph is admitting something that is, something that is hard to admit when you're in the middle of a bad situation, which is on your worst day in a bad situation, God is still in control. He's still in control. You're saying, but it doesn't feel like that. It doesn't feel like that. Your, your feelings are not facts. They're just feelings. The fact is God is still in control. Can I get an amen, somebody? Now, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you three, three things, three areas in which we often lack uh, control. We cannot control these th three things. The first one is pain. Heartache. Grief. Just, just you, you know what I'm talking about. I, I'm talking about... Uh, the pain that we experience in, in this life. Sometimes life is just painful. The second one is people. Have you ever noticed you can't really control anybody else? Have you ever noticed that? But we keep trying, don't we? <laughs> like, like we keep trying. Like the, the, this, is, this is one thing that I've learned. I cannot control anybody. 
I can offer suggestions. I can help. If they ask me, I'll, I'll certainly give some advice. But what I've learned is when, when it comes right down to it, you have to make the decision for yourself. I cannot make that decision for you. I cannot control you and you cannot control me. I can't control people. You can't either. But wouldn't it be nice because I've got a boss. Ooh. Yeah, well, you, you, you cannot control your boss, but God's still in control. And he uses some bad things, bad circumstances. He can turn those things around for your good. And then the, the third thing is just problems. You're, you're going to face problems in life. There, there's going to be situations in this life that are not necessarily caused by pain or, or by people. They're just problems. I, I tell people all the time, they say, well, why did this happen? Well, that's just life. We live in a fallen world. Can I, can I tell you some of the problems that you're not in control of? You're not in control. In fact, when I said that, this, I, I gave some examples this morning, and literally people just started laughing because they were the ones going through it. So there, there are some people going through this right now. Like sometimes a furnace just has to be replaced. And sometimes a transmission just goes out. And, and sometimes an engine blows. And sometimes a roof has to be replaced because it's just leaking. And those are just problems that everybody faces. How many know what I'm talking about? You just are going to face some problems. There's always going to be some prizes. In, in, in a, as a music minister for 10 years, I was in charge. There's a whole side of me that most of you don't know. So, so it, when I was in, in college, my undergrad work, four years, I was a music major in college. Did, did you know that? And, and then in that four years, after that four years, I got hired as a music pastor. So for the next 10 years, or I should say the first 10 years of full-time ministry, I was, I was leading worship. I was leading uh, choirs. I was leading Easter productions, Christmas productions. I, I'm telling you, I was, dinner theaters. I was overseeing a lot of things. And I always said that whenever you're doing some level of production, there's always going to be lightning bolts. Lightning bolts are issues that happen and they come out of nowhere and they just strike. You don't know when they're going to hit, but they, they, they'll definitely hit. Somebody gets sick, the main character gets sick, and you have to hand that off to somebody else. The, 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 the main vocalist that's going to sing three of the, of the ten songs is going gonna, is gonna to lose their voice, and I've, I've got to have a backup plan for that. Microphones go bad, sound systems go bad, amps blow. I mean, you could, I, could, I could tell you a number of things that happen because problems just occur, and they're like lightning bolts. They just come out of nowhere. And they're out of your control. And it's so frustrating, right? So frustrating. And, and then we have our responses to the things that are out of our control. And the first response, write this down, is one of the main responses is being reactive. I, I, I often, I'll use the word frantic for this. People become frantic. They become very reactive. So, and what I mean by that is all of a sudden a problem happens or there's a person in their life that's just causing issues or they, they experience pain and they become frantic and they start reacting. They don't respond, they react. A, a, a reaction is not something that's well thought out. It's just something that you do very quickly to fix the issue. Reactions are oftentimes bad decisions on our part. I, I teach people this all the time in counseling sessions. Never react, always respond. Never react, always respond. Reactions are typically poor decisions. But a, a response is something where you sit back, you, you, take, you, you take note of what's happening, you, you think things through, you get wisdom from others, you look at the word of God, and you make a decision that's wise. That's a response. But reactions, 
uh, they, they often happen, and they also, they usually make things worse. The second way that people respond to being life, just life is not in control, is through stress. They just get stressed. And it's when, you know, stress is this engineering term. It's, it, it's a term that, that really means there's too much weight on something. And so a lot of people feel weighted down. It's they're under stress. They're under stress because they feel weighted down by the circumstances. And no matter what they try to do, the, 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 the feeling of weightiness on top of them, the, the discouragement, the depression, the, the fear, the anxiety, it just weighs them that down. And then oftentimes people just break underneath that stress. And I have, I've seen it at least a dozen times where people have just had mental breakdowns. They were under so much stress that they just experienced a mental breakdown. And a lot of people just carry the weight of the pain and the people and the problems in their life, and they never deal with it. And over the course of time, it, it has some huge negative effects on their life. And you're not meant to live life like that. In fact, the Bible has some things to say about that, that when, when we're under stress, that we cast our cares upon the Lord because he cares for us. I'll get to more of that in a second. Or, or he says, come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden, like if you're burdened down. And he said, I'll give you rest. So we have to take those things to God. The third thing, the third reaction is oftentimes anger. It's anger. Some, some people, the anger goes on and on for so long, and I've experienced this myself. I'm speaking from experience that some people deal with anger so long. Have you ever been angry so long that you're in a bad mood and you don't even know why? You're angry and you don't even know why. There have been times my, my wife has come, what's wrong with you? I, I'm angry. Why? I don't know. I don't know. The stress is gone, but the anger has stayed. I'm just angry. I'm angry at the world. I'm angry at people. Every person I talk to, I'm just angry with you and you and you and you and you and you and you. Not really you, but you know what I'm saying? Like, have you ever just, I'm just angry. I'm just angry. Any, anybody ever had that level of anger? You didn't even know why. You were just angry. Boy, me too. Me too. And I'm going to teach you a couple things that I, I want you to write this down. The first one is huge, everybody. That what we attempt to control the most often reveals where we trust God the least. What we attempt to control the most often reveals where we trust God the least. So that one thing that you're trying to control and nothing is happening and you're realizing you're out of control, can I tell you the heart behind you're trying to control that is a lack of trust in God? In fact, let me give you the second bullet point right here that we don't always have the power to control, and you know that by now, but you do have the power to surrender control. And it's so important that you hear me today. You won't always have the power to control, but you always have the power to surrender control. And you're like, well, what does that even look like? Pastor Justin, what does that even look like, the power to surrender control? Control. I don't know how to do that. Well, I'm going to teach you. I'm glad you're here today because I'm going to teach you how to live a life of surrender to the Lord, that you're going to surrender control of the things that you cannot control. That at the end of the day, things might be wrong, but you can still be smiling. Why? Well, the, the Lord's got that. Oh, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know how it's going to happen, but the Lord has got that. He's, he's working that out. Well, how do you know? Well, I just know God. 
And you say, well, that's my issue, pastors. I, I, I'm having trouble trusting God. And that is an issue. And you need to know some things about the character and the nature of God that are going to help you trust God all the more. And I've asked you this question over and over and over again throughout the years. If you do not hope in God, in whom do you hope? The, the, the only other answer to that is, okay, so if you don't hope in God, and obviously people let you down over and over again, so it's hard to, to, to hope and trust in people, right? Well, the only other person available is the devil. Are you going to do that? Well, no. So if you, if you can't, if you don't, if you refuse to hope in the devil, and you can't really trust people, your only option is to hope in God, is to trust in God. And you say, okay, easy to say, harder to do. And what I'm talking about today, I'm going to teach you today how to surrender control to God, how to trust him completely. Are you with me? Are you ready for this? And this is going to come out of Psalm 63. I'm going to read all of Psalm 63. It's a very short one. And then I'm going to break it down kind of verse by verse and give you four things, four signs of surrender control in your life. How to, how to know that you're surrendering control to God in your life. And this comes from, from David. Now, he's in a desert. We know this. He's in the wilderness right now as he's writing this psalm. But the reason he got into the wilderness is uh, theologians, most of them land on one out of these two, but it's one of two reasons. They're, 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 most theologians believe that this is, this is when, remember the story of King David, before he was king, King Saul was actually pursuing David, trying to kill David, and David actually escapes into the wilderness as he's being, as he, as he's being attacked and trying to be killed by King Saul. So he escapes into the wilderness. The other time that, that David is in the wilderness and could be a possibility of him writing the psalm is when Absalom is rebelling, trying to become the king. And, and, and there is, again, um, a, a formal decree, hey, take David out. Like every, they wanted to take his life. So in either of those situations, David's life was at risk and he's actually hiding in the wilderness. He's hiding in the desert. Now, if you've ever been to Israel, you would know this. Israel is not... Like when you see pictures of Jerusalem and you see the Golden Dome and it's usually pictures from the Mount of Olives and you see all of these beige houses and buildings and businesses and, and you see a lot of trees everywhere and it's kind of a mixture of beige and greens because of all of the, the, the trees and the gardens and whatever around Jerusalem. Well, the truth of the matter is all outside of Jerusalem, it's very barren. It is a, it's a desert, everybody. I mean, the, literally, the, the only trees you see are the trees that are planted by, by people, by farmers. And you, you just, I mean, rocks, you see trillions of rocks, but you don't see any trees. You see lots of caves, but, but there's, there's no greenery, there's no, there's no life, there's very little water. And the water that is there, like the Dead Sea, well, guess what? Can't drink that. It's, it's dead. You know, like it ain't good. And so David finds himself in the wilderness and he starts writing this at, when things are out of control in his life. He's hiding out. There's nothing that he can do. Things are absolutely out of control and he's helpless. And he writes this Psalm, Psalm 63, starting at verse one. He says, you God are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. I thirst for you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. 
And what, what he's saying is he's relating what he's dealing with physically to what he's dealing with spiritually. He's saying, I'm in a physical location where it's hard for me to even get a drink. I'm just exhausted. I'm wiped out, and they're trying to take my life. And the way that I long for water is actually, God, the way that I'm longing for you. He's like, earnestly, earnestly, I seek you. I thirst for you with my whole being, with all that's within me. So one of the signs in your life that you've surrendered control to God is that there is a desiring of God in your life. Write that down, desiring God. It's one of the first signs of surrender. I just desire God. God, there's nothing that I can do about this situation. There's nothing I can do about the pain or the problem or the person. There's nothing I can do about this. But God, hear from my heart, I just long for you. I just long for you. And I'm going to seek you. It's a desiring for God. Let me ask you a question. Do you earnestly seek the Lord? Earnestly? Do you long for him with every fiber of your being? And if you're sitting here today, say, you know what, pastor, right now, I, I don't think so. Can, can I tell you what to do in moments like that? This is what I've done in my own life. Lord, I, I see that I'm struggling with my priorities and loving you first. And I'm asking you that you give me the grace to desire you more than I desire anything else, to love you more than I love anything or anyone else. Lord, I'm asking for help. Because I want to desire you most. I want to desire you first. And can I tell you, every single time that I've prayed that prayer, God has always answered. God has always answered. Can I tell you, for the rest of your life, there are going to be things that try to pull you from desiring God first and most. There will be distractions in your life, heartache in your life that will pull you from desiring God most. And I would tell you the place to go for that is to him and say, Lord, I know my priorities are out of order. I need you to straighten me up. Straighten me up, Lord. Give me a longing for you more than anything else. Every single time I prayed that prayer, he's always answered it. Why? Because he wants it the most in my life and in yours. And he'll answer that kind of prayer. I promise you that. He'll answer that kind of prayer. So desiring God is the first sign of surrender. The second sign is found in verses 2 through 5. He says, David says, I've seen you in the sanctuary and I beheld your power and your glory. He said, I've been in times of my life where I wasn't in the wilderness even though I am now. Because your love is better than life, verse three, my lips will glorify you. My, you might want to underline this, verse four, I will praise you as long as I live and in your name I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. He said, I will praise you, God, as long as I live. Now, where is he? He's in a desert being chased, trying to be killed. And he's saying, God, I'm going to praise you as long as I live. It might only be a day. It might be a week. It might be a month. It might be a year. It might be a lifetime. But I am going to praise you as long as I live. The second sign of surrender is devotion to God. It's desiring God first and then devotion to God. God, for as long as I live... I am fully devoted to you. I'm going to worship you in all things at all times when things don't make sense to me. Your praise will continually be in my mouth. I'm going to sing of your goodness. I'm going to tell of your greatness. I'm going to exalt you on my worst day. I'm going to give you praise. I am fully devoted to you. Can I ask you a question? In all seriousness, are you? 
fully devoted to God, fully devoted, fully devoted that on your worst day, when things don't make sense, when you have pain or you have problems or you have a person that's driving you nuts, are you still going to open up your mouth and say, Father, in all things at all times, I'm going to praise you anyway. I am devoted to you. I'm devoted to you. When things don't make sense, are you going to praise him anyway? And I've just made a decision in my life that when things don't make sense, when I'm struggling, when, when people are driving me nuts, when I got pain in my life or I have problems in my life, I'm just going to praise him anyway. I'm just going to praise him anyway. Will anybody else just join me in that devotion to God? Can I get an amen, somebody? Just praise him anyway. And, and we sing that song, you know, lots of you have heard that song, uh, and, and everybody loves it. We praise him in the storm. You know, we're like, oh, I love that song. I'm going to praise him in the storm. But when the storm hits, you won't feel like praising. It's easy to praise when you're listening to that song, but it's not so easy to praise when you're standing in front, in front of somebody, a person who's giving you a hard time about something, and it's undeserved. Or you're facing a problem, or you're facing pain. Can I tell you something? The, the truest worship in your life, the truest worship in your life will come in moments of pain and problems and around difficult people. When you don't feel like praising and you praise anyway, can I tell you, that's the truest form of praise. Next week, I'm going to start a series called, it's just going to be a short series, Wired for Worship. And that you're, all of us are wired for worship. Some people are just worshiping the wrong things. And I'm, I'm going to teach you how to praise God in, in the, the most difficult of circumstances. I've just, I've just dedicated my life. I'm going to be devoted to God. I'm going to praise him in the storm. Even when the music's not playing, even when I don't have goosebumps, I'm going to praise him anyway. I'm going to praise him anyway. I'm going to look at verse 6 now. David says, on my bed, God, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night because you are my help. I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. One of the signs of surrender, desiring God, devoted to God. Now it's dependence on God. I desire you. I long for you. I depend upon you. I'm devoted to you. Depending upon God. He's saying, God, I will cling to you. No matter what happens, no matter what comes, I'm clinging to you. Instead of running to somebody else to solve my situation, I'm going to run to you first. I'm going to cling to you. The Bible says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things shall be added unto you. Meaning the first, the four, first course of action in our life as Christians is to run to God first, to depend upon God first. So a lot of people, that you know, it's like they, they get a big headache, and before going to God, they, they're just naturally, well, i got to call my doctor. Well, can I tell you something? Before you call a doctor, you need to talk to God. I'm not saying doctors are bad. In fact, if you want to know my honest opinion, God created doctors to have a ministry in this world. And I know some mighty men and women of God who are called by God to do the work that they're doing in the medical field. But make no mistake, do not run to the doctor before you run to God. Because you need to be fully dependent, not upon Dr. So-and-so, but I'm going to be fully dependent upon Jehovah Rapha, who's my healer. That's who I'm going to depend on. Can I, I should have got a way bigger amen than right there. I'm telling you right there. 
So I'm going to depend on God. And then, and then we're going to go to verse 9. It says, those who want to kill me will be destroyed. They will go down to the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the sword and become food for jackals. Now think about this. Massive amounts of people are, at this point are probably pursuing him, wanting him to die. And he's hiding out in a desert, not with some huge army of a million people. And he's like, oh, oh. but those who want me dead, they're going to be destroyed. I'm going to see the victory of my God. In fact, let's go to verse 10. They will be given over to the sword and become food for jackals. But the king will rejoice in God. All who swear by God will glory in him, while the mouths of liars will be silenced. So, I, so the signs of surrender, desiring God, devoted to God, depending on God, and the last one is defended by God. It's a sign of surrender, that you have to know you're going to be defended by God. You're you're going to enjoy what God can produce that you cannot produce. See, there's some things that God can produce that you are not, you are not able to produce in your life. The, the Bible says it this way, that God is our defense, that he is our defender. He's a defender of the weak. In our weaknesses, he's made strong. Did you know that? That God is our defense, that he's a very present help in times of trouble, that he's a safe house, he's a refuge, he's a fortress, the righteous run to him, and they are saved, the Bible says. He's our defender, everybody. He's our defender. He's our defender, and he's been defending you your whole life, and he'll continue to defend you. But you have a very real enemy who wants to kill and steal and destroy you. And I would tell you this, everybody, the Bible is very, very clear. Be sober, be vigilant. Your adversary, the devil, the enemy prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But greater is he who's in you than he who's in the world, everybody. Your defender, your defender is on your side. God is on my side. The Lord is on my side, the Bible says. And, and a lot of people would say, well, well, Pastor, actually, what that should probably read is, I'm on the Lord's side. It says that too. I'm on his side, and by the way, he's on my side. The Lord is on my side. If God be for us, who can be against us, the Bible says. He's our defender. He's our defender. I'm trying to put faith in you this morning. He's our defender. He's our defender. So I don't have to worry about the future. Why? Because I'm, I desire him more than anything else. I'm devoted to him. I'm depending upon him. And he is my defender. And I will be defended by him. He's, he's working all things together for my good and for your good. For those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. He's working all things together for your good, everybody. You got to trust him. You know what I was thinking? The similarities here are amazing in that. Remember um, the four things that we focus here at New Song, and, and this is what God wants for your life, and he wants for every person's life and throughout the entire world. He wants every single person, including you and me, to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, make a difference. Know God, find freedom, discover purpose, make a difference. We've, we've built New Song on those on those principles and are, and are continuing to build on those principles that you need to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, make a difference. It's the four things that God wants to do in your life. And then I was thinking about this over the weekend, those four things are seen right here in, in Psalm 63. 
where, where, where David says, listen, I just desire God more than anyone or anything else. I want to know God. I just want to know God. And then he says in verses two through five, he says, by the way, I'm, I'm going to be devoted to God. So there used to be some things in my life that I was devoted to that separated me from God. I am no longer devoted to those things. I am now devoted to him and him alone. And through that devotion, through desiring God and turning towards God, I have now found freedom from the things that I used to be devoted to, but I am no longer devoted to those things. I'm devoted to him and him alone. I have found some freedom in my life. And by the way, I'm depending upon him. I'm depending upon him. I'm trusting in him. You know, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says that we trust in the Lord with all of our hearts and lean not on our own understanding. In all of our ways, we acknowledge him or we submit to him, and he makes our paths obvious. He makes our paths straight. This is what it tells me. When we depend upon the Lord, when we trust in the Lord, he not only takes care of our now, he takes care of our future. And he leads us into victory. He leads us where he wants us to go. Everybody, God has a purpose for your life. He has a direction for your life. And yours is depend upon him wholeheartedly. Trust in him wholeheartedly. And he will lead you into the purpose that he has for your life. He'll make it obvious to you. And then as you live out that purpose in your life and you live your life to make a difference, he'll, he'll defend you. He'll defend you. In fact, I, I, a verse came to my mind, one of the verses I, I used to, to have memorized a long, long time ago and over the course of the years, it, it just slipped out of, of memorization, but I, I still remember it. It's, it's Exodus chapter 23, verse 22. This is God speaking. He says, he says, listen, if you just do all that I say, if you live your life, new song, if you live your life desiring God first and most, living a life of devotion to him and depending upon him at all times, God says this, he says, if you do that, I will be an enemy to your enemies and I will oppose those who oppose you. He's saying this, I will be your defense as you live your life for the glory of my name, as you live your life of purpose, as you experience freedom, as, as you know me, and as you know me and grow in your relationship with me, you don't have to worry about the pain or the problems or the people. I will be your defender. I will oppose those who oppose you. I'll stand up. God's saying this, I will stand up and fight for you when you cannot fight for yourself. That's not Justin saying that. That's, that's the Holy Spirit of God saying that in the Word of God. Now you have a choice to make. Are you going to believe that or not? As for me, as for me, I have tried to control things. Sometimes I still do. And I am learning and I have learned to stop trying to control and actually surrender control to God and then I focus my eyes on him I want to know him I want to find freedom I discover my purpose and I live to make a difference and I let God take care of all the rest because he's my defender 
and he's my peace and he's my joy and he's my hope and he's my wisdom and he's my healer and he's my provider. He's everything to me. I'm telling you, new song, yours is not to control. Yours is to surrender control to the Lord. Do you receive the word of the Lord today? Yes or no? All right, stand up with me today. I just want to minister to you for a second. I'm going to pray for you and with you. I'm going to speak a blessing over you today, but I want to know something very, very quickly. Are you in a moment of your life in which it just seems like you're out of control, that there are, there's pain, there's problems, and there's people? And you're saying, Pastor, I just feel so helpless. It's, it's, I have no control of this situation. Would you bow your heads with me just for a moment? And if that's you, just raise your hand and say, Pastor, that's me. I'm just in a place where I'm out of control. There's nothing I can do. There's nothing I can say. And what you're doing is saying, today I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna depend upon God. I'm gonna surrender to God. I'm gonna surrender control to God. If that's you, keep your hands up. Let me pray over you and for you. Heavenly Father, I speak a blessing over my new song family, that they would rise up as people of faith. God, there have been so many times in our life that we have tried to take control of our situation. We tried to take control of the pain or the problem or the people, and it just isn't working out, and it didn't work out. And instead of trying to control things, Father, today we surrender control. Father, we repent of the times that we were just trying to be control freaks. What we were really doing, Lord, was living lives that did not trust in you wholeheartedly. We weren't trusting you to be faithful and to be good. We weren't trusting you to heal. We weren't trusting you to provide. We weren't trusting you to restore or to deliver or even to save our loved ones. But Father, we surrender control today. And in our surrender, we desire you first and most we choose a life of devotion to you. We choose a life that is depending on you, knowing that you are our defense. You're a defender of the weak. You're a very present help in times of trouble. You give strength to the weary. You bring deliverance and healing and salvation and freedom and provision. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for it. Now, new song with all, with all hands raised in the room. If we could just raise our hands and say, thank you, Lord, for delivering me. Thank you, Lord, for setting me free. Thank you, Lord, for restoration. Thank you for peace. Thank you for provision. Thank you for healing power, healing virtue. Father, I thank you for showing me your goodness. I thank you that you're working all things together for my good and the good of my family and the good of my loved ones. Lord, I thank you that you're working all things together for good. Lord, I I thank you that you're in control even when I'm not. And I give you the praise. Lord, in this day, I praise you. I don't know the answer, but I praise you anyway. I don't know how it's going to happen, but I praise you anyway. I don't know what you're going to do, but I praise you anyway, Lord, because you're worthy of it. You're worthy to receive blessing and honor and glory and power, both now and forevermore. You alone are worthy of it, Lord, and I will lift up my voice in praise to you, the one who provides, the one who takes care of me, the one who heals, the one who saves. Lord, I'm reminded today that you are mighty to save. And I thank you, Lord. 
So I surrender control and I give you all the praise and glory in Jesus' name. If you agree with that new song, could you put your hands together? Let's just bless the Lord for a moment. We bless you, Lord. As a church, it's our honor to play a small part in what God is doing through your life, and we would love to continue on that journey with you. To find out what your next steps could be in your relationship with Christ, all you have to do is go to mynsc.org contact. Thank you to all of you who consistently give, serve, and pray. You are the ones who God is using to make a difference in our community as we live out our mission of leading people to become fully devoted followers of Christ. Thank you for watching. We hope you tune in next week.